I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi LaPrette. Welcome to our podcast. We appreciate it. There's a million podcasts out there for you to choose ours. We're sincerely appreciative. Joining me is my famous co-host of so many years. He teaches the Beatles course at Suffolk University in Boston, Massachusetts. He's loved and loved and adored by his students, and uh, we welcome him on to our podcast as well. Hello, Mr. Galant. Hello, Chachi. Great to be here, and it's been a little while, but you know what? It, it always seems like there's 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 beetle elements in the air, right? Whenever we're together doing this, it never goes out of style, never goes out of fashion. I haven't binged them all, but I've been getting into the uh, McCartney three two one with uh, Rick Rubin on on Hulu, and uh, so you know we're all looking forward to the Peter Jackson Let It Be revision, and so <laughs> Let It mm-hmm. Be Naked on film, maybe or whatever that's going to be. So there's always something there, and you know, and we're lucky enough to be connected with with folks up and down the uh, Beatle evolutionary change. Those who were in it around the side of it are heavily influenced about it, and so I'm really looking forward to. Uh, today's I am as guests well. And before we discussion. get to that, referencing "Get Back and Let It Be," I don't know if you saw this, Mister Gallant, but we we both know Plastic EP from Melbourne, Australia. Plastic and I interviewed in two parts, Mister Michael Lindsay Hogg, a man who rarely does. Very jealous, Chachi. Very jealous that you you had the original filmmaker there, part of a kind of a aristocratic English filmmaking family. And uh, I will tell you, we became friends. We (laughs) traded emails. Not many people know he's a baron. His stepfather was a member of the Strauss family that owns Macy's. His stepfather's grandmother and grandfather died on the Titanic. His grandmother was the legendary woman who was offered a space on the lifeboat and she said no i'm going to stay with my husband his that michael lindsey hogg's mother was geraldine fitzgerald the famous academy nominee actress and he hung out with orson wells yep. henry miller humphrey bogart and the list goes on so he's a fascinating yep. man so speaking yep. of fascinating men we're very very excited for our special guest this is the first in our series and david gallant you were, came up with this idea i think it's great uh, we are doing shows called My Beatles Story. People have seen the Beatles or have brushed, you know, had a brush of fame with the Beatles. And we have a very special guest. He's beloved by many fans all over the world. He's a guitar player's guitar player. He's respected by so many musicians. And I will tell you, when a guitar manufacturer like Gibson creates signature guitars in your name, you know you've made it uh, to a certain benchmark and you are in limited company. And when you look at his resume, He's performed with so many people as a performer and a band leader. And he's from Malden, Massachusetts, not far where I grew up from, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, you know, being in radio in Boston for 40 years, I had the privilege of meeting Johnny. And I'm very happy to say that I consider him a close friend. So, ladies and gentlemen, the great guitarist extraordinaire, Johnny A. Hello, Johnny. Welcome to Wow, what an intro that was. Thank you so much. (laughs) We don't have to edit any of that. It's all perfect. Jeez, all of a sudden I feel six feet tall. (laughs) You are six feet tall. And uh, we invited Mr. Gallant, and I don't mean to call you Mr. David Gallant, we invited Johnny A, not only because he's such a thrilling and exciting musician who embraces the music of the Beatles, But I have many friends who almost had the opportunity to go to Suffolk Downs in Boston in August of 1966 to see the Beatles live. And many of those parents would say, we're not going this time. We'll get them when they come back. And they never came back. But Johnny A, 
probably has the <laughs> hippest mom who got him tickets for the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, among others. So, Johnny, we invited you because not only you're a fantastic guitar player, but you saw the Beatles in 1966. That's a long time ago, so memories can fade here and there, but nonetheless, you were there. You were down front. Can I you was. tell us the pieces of, that, of info that stay in your mind after all these years later? Well, I went with my cousin, Sue, who was a year younger than me. And in August 66, I would have been probably 13 years old because my birthday's in November. So I would have been 13. And we, we've talked about this many, many times, my, my cousin and I. We, we don't even remember how we got there. I mean, we, and our parents didn't go with us. We were in, in there by ourselves. And one other fascinating thing that we both remember is when we think back about the concert and trying to view it in our memories, we both see the concert in black and white. We don't see it in color for some reason, which is very odd. And I only have two really vivid memories of them actually playing. And one of them is I can vividly see George Harrison singing if I needed someone. And I can vividly see somebody rushing the stage and one of the amplifiers almost falling over. That I can see. And I was on the very front. I, my, I was like pressed right against the very front. I had the, the yellow ticket, which I didn't, I couldn't find anymore. And you so graciously gave me a duplicate that you had of the original tickets. And they, uh, the tickets were all color coded for different sections of the, the racetrack. It was a horse racetrack in those days. And mine happened to be yellow. And my cousin Sue and I, we weaseled our way down to the very, very front, which was still, you know, yards and yards and yards and yards away from them. And I kept begging my, my cousin, go, go run up there, get on that stage. Go. <laughs> but she wouldn't do it. <laughs> wow. And your mom bought you the tickets. Yeah, my mom bought me the tickets. And like I said, both my cousin Sue and I, we can't remember how we got there. And we can't remember how we got home. We just remember we were there. <laughs> And, and Chachi, I, yes. I find that fascinating because, I mean, you know, we're, we're all uh, grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in southeastern Mass, but lived in Boston for a long time, went to school there and, and commuted there every day, basically. And, you know, it, it's hard to just sort of accidentally get from Malden to East Boston. <laughs> it's, you got to, and especially especially where Suffolk Downs is. So I'm always curious because we've talked to folks who were there. But even when I think of like, oh, when I was a kid, first time my dad took me to Fenway, first time maybe I went on a plane, first time I might have gone to someplace else that you, you dream about or something like that. I remember the event, right? But what I really remember is what was I thinking about before I went? So, Johnny, I kind of assume like a lot of the narratives of people who say they've been profoundly influenced by the Beatles, you know, d day one for you or or the point of origin or ground zero was February 1964. We're on the Ed Sullivan show. And you probably imagine from that point, wow, if I could ever see these guys. So I'm curious, like, what were you thinking? What did you imagine it would be like from the time your mom got the tickets until you actually went to the show? That that anticipation I'm curious to hear about. Yeah, you know, that is that's kind of just really a blur to me. You know, uh, it. I didn't become a musician because of the Beatles. I was, I was a mu musician prior to the Beatles, but I was a drummer first. And it was that Ed Sullivan show, uh, actually hearing I Want to Hold Your Hand before Ed Sullivan, and then seeing them, which is what made me change my musical course from being a drummer to a guitarist, because all that melody and, you know, being a drummer, you, you don't really 
play with melody. It's all percussiveness. It's all rhythm. It's not melody. And I just, all that melody swirled around in my head. But as far as anticipation to going to the show, it's really, like I said, I don't remember anything before. I don't remember anything after. I only remember those two instances during the show. And I can just remember how I had to block my ears just to try to hear the band because the screaming was so intense that if, at least if you blocked your ears and you got rid of all that high-end, you know, Q energy, you could kind of tell what songs they were playing. You know, Chachi, uh, I know that uh, it's really interesting the way Johnny says his his transition from one instrument to another because if there was any band that really first made drummers cool, it would have been the Beatles. You know, if someone was drumming, they might have said, well, I want I want I want to stay with that. So that's really interesting to have uh, gone over to the uh, to the guitar because of them. You know, I mean, no one I don't think unless you were a real hardcore jazz person or something, I don't think anyone had posters of of Gene Krupa on their walls. (laughs) Well, Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's that's kind of who I was into. I was into Gene Krupa. I was into Sandy Nelson. Sandy Nelson had a series of drum records all out, and he had one called, uh, I think it was Sandy Nelson Teen Beat. That was one of the first albums I bought. But uh, it wasn't Ringo. When I saw the Beatles on its album, I, I, I just immediately identified with John Lennon. I mean, I just, yeah. you know, I remember the, I went to school that next day, Monday. My mother was a hairstylist. Actually, I come from a whole family of hairstylists, including my wife. But the next day, you know, we, I, the day before that Sunday, you know, I have a butch cut, you know, with the butch wax and all that stuff, a whiffle. I used to play baseball and all that stuff. And then I saw the Beatles, went down to Kresge's, bought beetle boots. You know, <laughs> my feet were so small. They're still pretty small. I mean, my, my beetle boots look like you could dangle them off a rearview mirror. That's how small. <laughs> but that next day I went to school. I had my mother comb my hair down. She cut it like a bowl cut. But you got to remember going from a whiffle to a, you know, your hair's way above your ears. And they sent me home from school for having my, they threw me out of school in the fifth grade because my hair was combed down. And my mother marched me back and said, that's discrimination. How dare you throw my son out of school for for having a haircut? And they let me back in. <laughs> so The hippest mom, I tell you. She's wild. She was wild. But, but in reference to you talking about, you know, the music you liked before the Beatles, I mean, you were influenced by the Everleys, I would guess, yeah. and Elvis Presley and things like that, right? Yeah, well, my grandmother and grandfather, they came over from Greece and like they settled in Malden. And my grandmother and grandfather had a luncheonette on Boston Avenue in Medford called the Brown and Blue, which is right next to the Five and Dime, right Nick Tufts College. And my parents got divorced when I was about four. So I would go in there on Saturdays because my mother would work and basically my grandparents babysat me in the, in the luncheonette. And it was the days where you had the counters and there were the little jukeboxes, you know, on, yeah. near every stool. And, and they just used to feed me coins and I would just play music all day in, in these jukeboxes. And it would be Peggy Sue. It would be Kathy's Clown. It would be, you know, uh, Bird Dog. It would be, you know, it would be Elvis. It would be uh, Buddy Holly. It would be Chuck Berry. It would definitely be the Everly Brothers, a big influence on me. So that that really was the first music that, I think hit me and it, it might've been why early on the Beatles resonated so much with me because they, they, this sound is so heavily brothers to me, you know, their vocal approach, especially in the early days, 
was so Everly Brothers. And I was really into the Everly Brothers and their, and their whole sound and their guitar sound, who turned out to be Chet Atkins that played on all those sides. So, yeah, I, I guess early on, I would say I, I became aware of music kind of ferociously by 1956 or so, or 57. But my first musical memory of, of music was when I was about three in 56, when my mother brought home this little 40, remember the 45 record players that look like tiny little suitcases and the, the cover opened up and had a plastic handle? Well, my mother brought me home one of those one day and two 45s. And uh, one of them was uh, by the Earl Bostick Orchestra. I can remember it was uh, Harlem Nocturne. And the other one was by Little Willie John Fever. And she said I would just sit on the floor like hours and hours on and continually spinning fever over and over and over. They thought there was something radically wrong with me. I think that, you know, zeroing in on John Lennon is, is also a little bit revealing because as much as one would focus on the guitar work and the work with, with melodies and harmonies is that there was a whole lot of, um, if you were looking closely enough, there was a lot of attitude packed into it, right? And, and, and a, lot of in, a lot of performance or the guts to take on certain things also has to do with attitude. And, you know, I think that's a lot what a, what a lot of first viewers or first generation Beatle fans took on. And they could take that a million different ways, you know, as Lennon did. That attitude can push a lot of different boundaries. It can be, you know, it can draw people in. It can push people away, however you need to use it. Mm-hmm. And then when it's, when it's translated through song, it's a, it's a whole other type of communal thing. Yeah. Well, you know, what's fascinating to me about the Ed Sullivan thing. It's like I said, I immediately identified with John Lennon as a strong character and the, and he just seemed like the guy to me. Whereas when you look back at that original footage, most of the camera work was on McCartney. There wasn't, Lennon was not focused as much as McCartney and even some of the other guys. You'd, you'd get some shots of Lennon, but it was very McCartney dominated. When I've gone back and I've reviewed that Sullivan, uh, that first Sullivan episode, and it was interesting that Lennon was the one that still jumped out at me. Wow. Yeah, well, for me, it was Ringo seeing him up on the riser, having fun. That was awesome. But, you know, I asked myself, you know, what, what would have happened to me if there was no Beatles, I'd probably end up working in a factory somewhere or, you know, I had no other kind of aspirations short of being a DJ so I could meet the Beatles. But what would have happened to you, Johnny, if there were no Beatles? I probably would have been successful. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I joke about it, but I I say, you know, I I definitely joke about it, but I say probably the Beatles ruined my life. (laughs) (laughs) I, I definitely don't think I would have been in music like I am because the the turning point to play guitar from drums was the Beatles. Had there been no Beatles, I probably would have probably continued to try to be a drummer and really at best I would, would have been mediocre. I didn't have the same, even though I took drum lessons and never took guitar lessons, I was a mediocre drummer. You know, it, it, was, it was work to me to become a, a good drummer, whereas guitar seemed to just kind of come to me and I probably wouldn't have played guitar had it not well, been for we're the gonna Beatles. We're going to talk about so yeah. Chachi I, I guess the Beatles have have denied us the history and opportunity of a great string of North Shore Greek restaurants because that's maybe <laughs> maybe that's where Johnny would have gone with it you know not that, not that we don't have plenty of good ones but I thought it was interesting that you know I mean it's a great signature it's a great stage aim a great moniker Johnny A there's nothing that really could beat that it's probably been a great professionally but 
to me, part of the story about that, I guess, is people found it too difficult to pronounce the last name or kids or something couldn't find. But for me, for all the Greek folks I know, Antonopoulos ain't that difficult to pronounce. It no, only it, has. It, in Greece, it's kind of like Smith. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't but over here, troubles. But over here, it got butchered a lot. And, you know, I think it came about because my dad worked for New England Telephone Company in climbing poles and installing phones back then. He had a night job. He worked at this club on Tremont Street called the Club Cayam, which was a, like a belly dancer club and, you know, nightclub. And they just used to call him Billy A. And when I yeah. grew up, they just started calling me Johnny A. And when I was playing Little League, that's what they called me. And even someone just actually sent me a picture of when we won the Battle of the Bands in Melrose. And I, I was still playing drums. I was very young. And in the wow. paper, it said Johnny A. So it wasn't like this manufactured stage name it was just something that organically happened yeah and and we're going to talk about this in a minute but your latest project is called it's perfect too from a to Beatles, and yeah. that's johnny's new project we're going to talk about that in a second but let's give people who are listening a little bit of a background on you johnny you I, we know you, i know you through wbcn radio we played you guys and your different band. Let me see. We had The Streets. We had Hidden Secret, Hots on Fire. You opened for Aerosmith. You opened for Seeger. You were in the Jay, Jay Giles band for a while, working with our friend Peter Wolf. You were, I think you were the band leader. And yeah, you toured with the Yardbirds. I mean, you you have a, a long history of musical accomplishments. So I wanted to get that in. But your new project is called From A to Beatles. And we are working on it together, Johnny and I. We are working at a residency at the City Winery in Boston on August 8th, 22nd, and 29th. Johnny, tell us, and you are such a fantastic guitarist. You interpret Beatles songs unlike any other, you know, quote-unquote Beatles tribute band. Uh, you do your own thing. I've never seen anyone interpret the music as you do with your guitar, whether you're with a band or whether you are solo. So tell us about From A to Beatles, how it started. I know you're working on an album. So just give us a little bit of a background on that. Well, as as you know, and most people that know me, I am a huge, huge Beatle fan, a big fan of, of the songwriting and the, and the production and how they had the ability to take these three-minute little two-and-a-half-minute, two-minute-and-eight-second little symphonies and, and basically cram all this great production and, and arrangement ideas in there. And that, I think that's what hooked me. And... I've always done Beatles songs uh, on all of my albums, at least one Beatles song, and I'd always throw a couple in on the show. But I've been wanting to do a Beatles project for a very, very long time and just really didn't have the opportunity to put it together. And three years ago, like as you just mentioned, I started doing a solo show, so I really didn't have a band anymore. But during the lockdown, I had a couple of my good friends, Dean Cassell, who's a bass player. He played with me in the streets and in Hearts on Fire, as a matter of fact, but he's the current bass player for John Caffney and Bieber Brown. And Marty Richards, the drummer, drummer extraordinaire that's played with everybody from Joe Perry to Gary Burton to the Jay Giles band to you name it. He's a number one call guy around town. And we're all Beatle fanatics. I mean, we're Beatle, Beatle fanatics. So during the lockdown, I just said, hey, you want to get together and try to record record some songs i don't know what's going to happen to it i don't know i don't know if we'll ever put it out or anything but let's get together and, and do it we were going to record one album 10 songs my friend john ship the engineer uh, that's working with aerosmith and hollywood vampires and uh slash and all these guys came up and engineered the sessions and we were going to do 10 songs i had three days with these guys and uh at, at, by lunchtime on the second day we already had 10 songs in the can 
They went so fast, it was unbelievable. So I said, you guys want to just keep cutting? So we ended up cutting 20 songs in three days. And they came out great. And we said, hey, want to try to do some local gigs, see what happens. And we just started rehearsing, fell into place. You know, the interesting thing about it is it, unlike most Beatle tribute bands that you hear, they're always vocally based. You know, they're trying to do the songs note for note and they got the harmonies and some of them even wear the suits and the, and the garb and all that stuff. But I'm an instrumental artist, so there is no vocals in, in what we do. So it's, it's, an, it's a reimagining of the songs instrumentally, which I don't know, I think is kind of interesting. It, it's a different take. I, I find that when I do these Beatles songs in concert and I'm doing Strawberry Fields Forever or I'll Follow the Sun, or I find that I have the audience singing along with them, which is really, it's cool. A ticket to ride, you can hear them out there. It, it's, it's fun. So it just kind of said, okay, well, let's, let's try a couple gigs. I had a couple solo gigs that I just recently did, one at City Winery and one at Tupelo Music Hall. And I brought the band in just to kind of finish the night off unannounced. I just wanted to see if how people would react, if it kind of would have any legs. And uh, it went over famously. And we just decided, okay, let's let's keep this, let's do let's do some more gigs, maybe keep it local, maybe regional. I don't think I would tour with it, but the record, I'm hoping to have the record out soon i've got 10 of the songs pretty much mixed and ready to go and i'm going to put it out in two volumes so volume one and volume two so that's that's how it started it really started as as frustration during being locked down and everybody had free time yeah well <laughs> unless the professor wants to say anything i i will say that throughout the lockdown i and i complimented johnny privately that you know every day monday through friday 10 a.m he'd be there for weeks on end with live interactions with fans who are watching and listening and he'd play every day at 10 a.m i don't know if i could have ever been so disciplined because you wake up sometimes like oh i don't want to do anything but you were there and you brought joy to so many hundreds upon hundreds even thousands of people that would tune in and and I think that they were like, oh, Johnny's not doing it anymore after you did it for like a year and a half. Yeah, it was a lot of shows. It was, I think it was well over 350. And, you know, it, it wasn't the idea of, the hardest part of doing it after a while is just looking at a blank, like you and I, we can see each other. We can interact. Even yeah, though right. we're looking at glass panels, we can interact. When you're doing it, it wasn't like a Zoom thing. It was just me on my iPad talking to this glass thing and not being able to hear anybody answer me or see anybody after a while you run out of songs to play and run out of things to say and jokes to yep. tell and stories to tell and I just started to get a little bit burnt out but my fans were amazing I think I had I've had over 750,000 engagements on on that on that thing which I, I thought it was surprising I never thought anybody would tune in to be honest with you yeah, I mean, all you would see is comments or questions from <laughs> yeah. people. And uh, even the professor brought it up a little while ago that, you know, you kept everyone on an even keel every day. I'd wake up and I'd say, oh, I can't do anything before noon. <laughs> and there's Johnny, 10 a.m. every day. I could never have done that, David, the professor Gallant. 
Chachi, I used to, I used to, I used to listen kind of like when I was hoping that they would point me out if it was my birthday and I see so-and-so, I would always wait for Johnny to sort of see a comment from you in the comments and say, Hey, Chachi, how's it going? You know, cause it, it, I would just wait for that. It would happen almost every other day or so, but you know, I really, and he played some uh, Beatles during those sessions, but it's a great for our um, <clears throat> listeners who may like or may have encountered instrumental Beatles before, whether it's symphonic or whether I, I still think one of the great, you know, I, I hope this is a, an album everybody can listen to because there has to be a great companion to Chet Atkins picks on the Beatles from oh, way yeah. back when, which is, uh, which is, you know, it, it's great. It's a great way to hear the songs again. And I, and I'm not surprised if any shows or any Beatles work Johnny's done goes over well, especially for some of these live engagements coming up as we're coming out of the pandemic and thankfully knock on wood, not to get on a high horse, but we're in an area and a region where, where people are doing the best they can almost in the whole country to get vaccinated, to be out and amongst folks again, and to have a, a, a performance that will be, I'll call it in, in a weird way. I think it's musical comfort food that should take you out of your Beatles comfort zone because it's not going to be vocally based, but even with the instrumental interpretations that are going to go on, like Johnny says, people are going to be singing in their heads. So they're going to be singing along because the, the material is familiar, but they're going to hear it in a, in a very interesting, creative way. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, Chachi, I know it's not, it's not breakfast with the Beatles, but we're getting toward a brunch time for these kids, right? <laughs> brunch is great. Yeah. Chicken and waffles, everybody. Chicken and waffles. That's right. There we go. Yeah, but the, we're going to be at the City Winery, Boston, August 8th, 22nd, 29th at noontime on Sundays. It's a perfect way to have eggs with the soundtrack, the Beatles soundtrack by Johnny A and from A to Beatles. So we're very, very excited about that. And I'll be hosting it, Professor, and we'll be giving away Beatles vinyl courtesy of our friends at Cheap Thrills Music in Dedham, Massachusetts. So it will be a lot a lot of fun and we're looking forward to the album but there's a lot of songs to choose from johnny 214 songs what's the criteria when you pick a song i'll tell you the set list hold on a minute let me grab it guys okay yeah we, you know, we can although you might not be able to see it johnny is in his home studio no i'll go through them i'll tell you what they are we're, okay we got, we're doing on these first bunch of dates we're doing uh here Comes the Sun, All My Loving, A Hard Day's Night, You Gotta Hide Your Love Away, Act Naturally, I'll Be Back, Drive My Car, If I Fell, Nowhere Man, Till There Was You, Things We Said Today, Get Back, Hey Bulldog, Ticket to Ride, I'll Follow the Sun While My Guitar Gently Weeps, She Said, She Said, Yes It Is, The Night Before, A Day in the Life, And Your Bird Can Sing, I Feel Fine, And I Love Her, Strawberry Feels Forever, and then a little medley of I Call Your Name and You Can't Do That. Wow, wow. Got you the most, I think, for my for my money, the most underrated great Beatles song is gonna be Hey Bulldog. Uh, you know, right up there with maybe the inner light and rain. But but yeah, that's it, it took far too long to make it back into the Yellow Submarine film. So, you know, I had this old VHS for my older set of kids where they grew up on Yellow Submarine, didn't have Hey Bulldog. Then the DVD came out, my younger kids can see the Hey Bulldog sequence. So for our listeners, I gotta tell you, you you're gonna hear from A to Beatles do Hey Bulldog. That's worth the price of admission right there. Oh, I got to tell you something. I got. I have. I have something from my youth that my grandmother gave me when I was a kid with me, and this is probably what I heard the Beatles on the very first time. Oh, look at that! He still have the radio that my grandmother gave me. (laughs) Transistor radio that used to go under my pillow, and that's probably where I first heard "I Want to Hold Your Hand" on this, and it still works. And what he is showing is this little blue radio. (laughs) 
transistor that slips into that little leather, leather faux leather carrying case that I vividly remember as a yep. kid too. And you carried yep. it everywhere. And this is not faux leather, Chachi. This is genuine Corinthian leather. <laughs> of course, it's your grandmother who bought it for you. She's going to get you leather. Not only did he have to hit his mother, he had, he, he, he had both the hippest mother and the hippest grandmother for crying out loud. That's life. right. That's right. And you know, she, that's doubly blessed. And his grandmother was expecting him to take the diner and continue on for years to come. But he became a musician instead. <laughs> the diner might have been the smarter move. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... Let me ask you, let me talk to the musician in Johnny, because the song, the Beatles songs always sound so like, wow, that sounds so easy. It sounds so simple. The, the chords and I want to hold your hand or if I fell. And I think, and I'm not a musician, as a, not a guitar player, but I think when you dig into it as a, as a guitarist, maybe those chords aren't as easy as we thought. And maybe the fact that they weren't trained musicians worked in their favor. If they were trained, they might not have happened upon those different chord structures. Is there anything true to what I just said? No, I think that a lot of that is true. Just having street sense and, and just that kind of, well, we're going to do it the way we want to do. Like, for example, the, the chord that they ended in She Loves You, which yeah. is a 6-9 chord. And uh, when they wanted to end with that, George Martin didn't want them to end with that chord because he says, oh, that's, that's kind of like a corny type of chord. And they said, yeah, well, we like it. <laughs> so they, they just did it. And when you go back and you listen to some of these, the songs on the surface are, are fairly simple. You know, most of them are fairly simple, but kind of the way they structured them and put them together arrangement wise and the production and the little parts that they threw in is really what make them special. It's like, it's interesting, like, if you try to play All My Lovin' without that John Lennon triplet rhythm part, it just doesn't work. And yep. how he would have came up with an idea to play that rhythm like that, which is not an easy thing to play, you know, even as a trained guitar player playing, I mean, that song's at 154 beats a minute, and you're playing da 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 for three minutes. Yeah. For the bridges. And and it struck me that going back and watching the Ed Sullivan th thing, again, referencing that first thing. Now, they know they're playing to 70 million people. It's the first time they're going to be in America. They've been wanting to conquer America forever. You can imagine how nervous and excited and the anticipation they must have had. And that's the first song they play is All My Loving. And you just look over, and when they do show Lennon, it's, it's, he's just like, it's so matter-of-fact. It's just he's doing it so simply, and it's not a simple thing to do. Yeah, you know, it, well, you know, and and the professor can probably allude, uh, you know, add to this as well. But as a Beatle historian, and I'll say that loosely, uh, a Beatle fan, I've read chapters and I've heard entire podcasts on the opening chord of a Hard Day's Night. You know, so those are you know they sound easy, but they're maybe not as easy as they sound. Well, the, the chord to a hard day's night, it's not, a, it's not a difficult chord. It's just kind of the way those, all those instruments together. The thing is, is the chord really starts on the five of the key of the song. McCartney and George Martin are playing a low D. The song is in the key of G. And it's basically kind of like an F7 with a D, I'm sorry, a G7 with a D in the bass, but there's also that 12-string guitar, which adds these octaves and these rich harmonics. So, and I bet you if they recorded that same chord on another day and the mics were placed in a different place, 
it wouldn't have sounded the same. It was just, you know, it, it's funny. I've had this discussion with the guys in the band about the Beatles. Sometimes you hear, you know, we, we've had, we're fortunate now that we get to hear all these earlier versions of these songs before, before the, you know, the, the official, you know, ones that came out on the albums. Now you hear all these outtakes and you hear these demos in here. And some of them, they just sound, you know, not to be disparaging, but they don't really sound that good. And yes. they don't, they don't, there's no magic to the songs. And then all of a sudden you hear the finished version of the song. It's like, how did it get from that to this? You know? I agree. I mean, I've recordings of like, don't bother me. And George is trying, he's, they're just trying to work out the song. So you hear it and you go, wow, man, that's so off the mark. But then, like you said, finished product is like, wow, they found it. They navigated and it. Like, it just, and and, and you, every song is like that. I yep. mean, they, every song has fairy dust on it. You know, every, yeah. every single one of them. It's, yeah. it's, it's wild. Well, Professor, we love Johnny A. And let me just add this. If you have anything else to close with, uh, Mr. Gallant, please let me know. But I, I love this quote about Johnny from uh, Rick from Gibson Guitars, a senior VP. I always have this available because this is what Johnny's all about. And he's, quote, creating an artist's signature model guitar is not something we take lightly because sometimes a player comes along who is not only a musical innovator and artist of the highest caliber, but has innovative ideas about designing a totally new instrument. And that's Johnny A, who just knocked us off our feet. So from the senior VP at Gibson Guitars. And I know you have your signature model and you must be very, very proud of those, of those guitars. Well, you know, being a little punk from Malden, Massachusetts, <laughs> veering these guys and Gibson Guitars and Les Paul and Chet Atkins and Wes Montgomery and all these guys that played them to have your name at the he- at the end of the headstock on one of those guitars is, it's kind of like an unbelievable thing, to be honest with you. It's it still is. a pinch me moment 20 years later, you know, because that guitar was, uh, it got really, I got signed as a signature artist in 2002 and the guitar was released in 2003. So it had a very long run, you know, yeah, well, it's still a pinch me moment. It is. And you're in limited company. Not everyone gets a signature guitar. So congratulations, Professor. We're going to wrap up momentarily, but any uh, questions, last thoughts, anything you'd like to throw in? I know I've been dominating a little bit. of Well, the conversation. no, just, just the, uh, you mentioned Chachi about those who really want to parse out the, uh, the chords. And I think the most famous one under the microscope is the opening chord to a hard day's night. And there was actually uh, before a lot more was revealed. There was a, an academic, a Canadian mathematician who published an article in a journal using a, a process and a derivation called a Fourier transformation, figuring out with all the tones what the what instruments were playing what. And basically, you know, the kicker, of course, is that George Martin was also hitting the piano as part of that opening chord. And right. he wanted, I think he wanted that, that particular angle because he's thinking in terms of a, of a film. And that's what also shapes that great song is not just the sound, but we always associate it with the film. And you really can't, you know, separate the two. It's kind of a signature moment like Johnny's signature guitar, which like a child, that's the legacy, right? That's what goes on even after you're not here anymore, right? So, I mean, that's going to be around forever so that's that that is quite uh that is quite something but we're, we're looking forward to these gigs right chachi that's right we have johnny a and his band from a to beatles august 8th 22nd and 29 in boston at the city winery boston it starts at noon on sundays you have a marvelous brunch and with music provided by johnny a and his band i'll be the Eagles vinyl but johnny plays everywhere all over the country all over the world you have a lot of gigs lined up i don't know if you want to rattle off a few of them johnny you certainly may 
Well, we do. I, well, I'm, I'm doing book, booking, the, you know, the Beatle thing as well as the solo thing. The solo thing is going to be doing. I'm at Daryl's house on August 1st in New York, Daryl Hall's club. I'm going to Colorado. I'm going out to the West Coast again. They're all at JohnnyA.com. There you go. JohnnyA.com. I'm kind of like, like dog poo. You can find me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are not on the bottom of our shoe. We love you, Johnny. A. And I'm privileged to have been, you know, I've known you for so long and consider you a friend and, and hopefully likewise. And I, and I want to help you as much as I can with your latest Beatle project, because Professor, when you see Johnny perform these Beatles songs that you know and love, and he, he approaches them, you know, as a single guitar instrumentalist it really is fantastic it takes you right there and so i appreciate it johnny a the great guitarist johnnyade.com for all the information right is that correct that is correct okay professor anything before we say goodbye of today's broadcast of get back to the beatles chachi i'm i'm looking forward to to those shows and it was great to have johnny on and i i concur with you completely i don't know what the forced isolation pandemic time would have been a, a lot poorer without uh, without being able to listen to his craft work so that was fantastic so i'm really glad he was able to join us well thank you all thank for you listening so much. I, really, I appreciate the opportunity and the support it's great i appreciate it well we love johnny a and thank you for listening to get back to the beatles we are presented by the boston podcast network david yes our famous entrepreneur the owner of the boston podcast network is now with us here and he has a, a slew of podcasts on his network and you can hear them on uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts david do you want to plug any highlight podcast i know you do past tens we did before with professor gallant that is a podcast we're proud of where my cohort milton and i travel back in time and look at the top 10 from a given week we were honored to have you guys on that fateful day back in 1964 when the beatles held the top five positions on the charts but yes so thank you for plugging that chach and i would just say anyone listening if you want your own podcast you could be the next big star just like chach and the professor go to pod617.com to get started as we say in boston <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening. I want to thank Subaru of New England as they sponsor whatever I do. We love Ernie and the people at Subaru. And thank you, Johnny A. Thank you, Professor Gallant. Uh, you're teaching uh, Beatles class, classes over there at Suffolk. He teaches them to freshmen, Johnny, only. Well, I'm a freshman. Yeah, and, you know, I... I we're, all, we're all freshmen. Yeah, and uh, I have spoken to his class many times. Maybe someday you can get Johnny to do that, but... Professor, just off the top of your head, from your students, what is the probably the most favorite song uh, by generally the majority of students, the favorite Beatles song? Is there? It, it varies quite a bit. I will say that in terms of some writing assignments and open discussions that we have, we do spend quite a bit of time with Eleanor Rigby. And it's kind of like a pivot point in the very middle of the semester because it changed so many things and... And it's uh, so we do spend quite a lot of time with that, but also tomorrow never knows, you know, that's a, that's a good one. And I even had a student once who told me that uh, they were so blown away because we, we talked about it, but we listened to it in class with the lights off blown away by revolution nine. <laughs> so Johnny, maybe you can play so, that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to hear Yoko say, I've become naked. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thanks for listening to Get Back to the Beatles. Thank you, Johnny A. Thank you, Professor Gallant. And thank you to David Yes. Peace and love, everybody. And keep an eye out for our next podcast. It's going to be a great 
a celebrity who, well, not a celebrity, but someone who has met the Beatles many times as we continue with my Beatles story. Take care of yourselves, everybody, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.